politics Some culture and craft beer Politics And that is why you're here Politics Adam's up Adam's up, and welcome back. This is Blotto. Been a little while since uh, I've recorded. Certainly has been more a matter of just things getting in the way than topics for me to share or to espouse upon. And I've got a lot to say, mostly about gun control today, going back to the Rittenhouse verdict, the Aubrey verdict, and then in light of what has happened here in my home state, not very far from here, at Oxford High School with a school shooting. And I think all these things can be tied together or put within the same context of sort of gun culture that we have here in the U.S. So before we get into that, let's uh, do some beer. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit on the beer today because what I have in my hand today is a beer that you cannot get um, unless you are good friends with a Mr. Bob Whitefoot. Bob is a regular up at the brewery, and he is a home brewer, and he participated in our homebrew contest uh, that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, Some of his beers did very well. Um, Others uh, didn't place, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily bad beers. And I have one of those here with me today, just to kind of bring up the the, the topic of homebrewing. Bob has labeled this uh, Lights Out Stout, it's a 6.8% ABV. Uh, I, I know that he takes his craft very seriously. Um, so I expect that it's going to be a pretty good stout. And I, I guess since you can't have this beer, what I would recommend is, you know, see if you can go get a home brew from somebody. Maybe you have a friend or a relative or someone at work that, you know, does home brewing and perhaps uh, they can share something completely unique that you can't get. Uh, commercially. Anyway, so I'm going to give this a pour. It's nice and thick uh, as a stout. I've seen darker. That's not to say that it's not a dark, but it's it's not a black stout. And uh, the head is, I would call it a, a medium to dark brown. As I've learned about ho- home brews, one of the things that has come up several times is head retention. And it's a, as we learned about judging our own homebrew contest, the head retention is a critical factor in the initial appearance and to some, a gauge of the quality of the beer. Um, I poured this, it had about a three quarter head on it, half inch head on it. And right now it's still maintaining about a quarter uh, inch of head. Again, I'm not really sure why this is important. I can talk to some of the beer experts, but it does seem to be rather important when it comes to judging uh, different beers. Anyway, the uh, smell is, or the aroma is very mellow, creamy, like a stout, a little bit of chocolate in there, or some sort of uh, roast. Certainly not bitter and very tasty. Thank you, Bob, for uh, sharing uh, your beer with me. And like I said, since I can't share it with so many others, uh, please go out and and seek a homebrew for yourself to try. All right. uh, If I have more to say about the beer, I will. Turning back the clock to the written house verdict, I'm not really going to debate the laws of Wisconsin on self-defense because whether it's Wisconsin or some other state, you know, more or less, the only thing that you have to convince 12 others of 
is whether or not you feared for your life. And that standard of proof has, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt comes into the guilt of the crime, proving the guilt of the crime. But in order for you to take away reasonable doubt from the crime, then you must really believe that Kyle Rittenhouse feared for his life. And this whole notion of fearing for your life, I think, has gotten very watered down. And in, in part, I blame what has become the lack of accountability in police shootings. Because oftentimes in police shootings, especially against unarmed victims or suspects, the officer still claims that they fear for their lives. And so now that lack of accountability and that very low standard has sort of crept its way into civilian defense. You know, much kind, much like stand your ground laws, you know, any others that really give the benefit of the doubt to the shooter and not the victim. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of what happened in, in this case. You know, you can't really get into the head of any of these shooters and find out whether or not they really feared for their lives or whether that fear was reasonable. And I think that's what has to be looked at. I think that from someone like myself and, you know, someone from the progressive side of the movement and someone that wants stricter gun control so that we don't have these 20, 30,000 deaths a year by firearm. I think that what we're really looking for are the applications of the law or uh, new laws that address the gun violence that we have here in the U.S. So in particular, Kyle Rittenhouse, I don't really care that much about one case ever. And if anything, it shows that the laws or the standard of the laws, right? There's that, like I said, that low bar has to be, you know, put under some new light to say, okay, just saying you fear for your life doesn't really qualify you. And 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 maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's really kind of what I think has happened here. And this is kind of what ha- happens with other shootings, right? You, you're you're just saying you fear for your life. The same thing happened in the Aubrey shooting. The jury didn't buy it. But in Wisconsin, they did. So I, I thought to myself, well, okay, self, what needs to change in order to set that bar higher, right? The first is, the, the way I look at it is, you know, th- there ought to be a, a carve out in the application of the law that says if you walk in to a hostile situation with a loaded firearm, self-defense no longer applies because you've put yourself into that position on purpose with a deadly weapon that really has no other purpose of being there, um, especially as a civilian. You, you shouldn't be able to use it as, as a deterrent, but even if you did, that still doesn't mean that you get to play executioner with it. You know, I I think to myself, when you, in any situation that you put yourself into that's potentially violent, uh, and you have a firearm, and you've put yourself there purposely, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, makes sense to me that it would be a matter of self-defense. You know, I often have compared the Rittenhouse case to gang violence, right? I'm not aware of how many gang members are prosecuted and claim self-defense, 
but I don't think that it's a defense that that is used much and that carries much weight um, within you know the court of law in those particular circumstances. If two gangs get together and start shooting one another, I don't understand how one would be able to claim self-defense. And you know, when I talk about gang violence, you know, maybe it's if they're white gangs, as kind of the case here in Wisconsin, then you can claim self-defense. But if it's a uh, minority or black or Latino gang, then you don't get to. I mean, is 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 there a racial element to this defense that that works uh, in some cases and and doesn't in in others? Because I, I fail to see the difference. You know, if two gang if if two rival gangs decide to square off, you know, someone a- ends up dead. It's a clear case of self defense, in in my opinion, and I, and I and I don't think you know that's where we want to live, right? Again, in a highly violent situation where you know there's a drive by shooting on from one gang onto a gaggle on a street corner of another gang and they're armed as well and shoot back at the, the 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 person shooting at them i just get a sense here that they don't get to claim self defense and should they i mean is that where we're at now I, I i don't think so i don't think so the other way that i think this can be applied in the written house case is sort of within a hypothetical so one of the men that he shot and I believe it was the only one that was a survivor, also had a firearm. And he pointed it at Rittenhouse. And I don't really know or recall very well what the timeline of events are uh, that evening and you know, whether he shot him you know, first or third. But let's say that guy would have gotten the drop on Rittenhouse and he would have killed Rittenhouse. Would have he been able to claim self-defense? I mean, Rittenhouse had a gun had a bigger gun, and that guy could easily say when faced with someone in a a riot, someone with a loaded weapon, feared for his life, then he gets to claim self-defense if he would have shot Rittenhouse. And for me, that's just not the world that I want to live in. We've outlawed dueling, right? I mean, 40, 40 paces in a quick draw are you making the case that it's self-defense because the other guy was going to shoot me? You know, and I just don't think that, that that's the way that self-defense laws are meant to be applied because you're entering into that arena with the potential of having to shoot someone or get shot. And that's why self-defense just doesn't work with me. You know, we are are not in the Wild West, but I think for, you know, some percent of the country, uh, we are in the Wild West. And and that is why the right was so supportive of Rittenhouse, because he was out there to shoot the protesters. And, you know, I don't don't know whether or not the verdict, as many have said, is going to open up hunting season on protesters, you know, every case should, you know, be tried on its own merits. But that doesn't neglect the fact that we have to toughen up the standards of when violent deadly force can be used, whether it's by a civilian 
or whether it's by law enforcement. And I, I think that is where, you know, this individual case doesn't mean as much to me. It's really about what we do as a as a society to improve ourselves. So the next time this situation comes up, things are a little bit more black and white. The other way I look at this case is through the lens of what if Kyle Rittenhouse didn't have a gun or wasn't there? And that is an, is another way in which I have a hard time using the self-defense defense. If he wasn't there or if he didn't have a gun, I think everyone would be alive. I think if he was there and he didn't have a gun, he would be alive. I think the two people that he killed would be alive. I think the third person that he wounded wouldn't have been wounded. Like, it's really difficult for me. And I don't know under the Wisconsin self-defense laws, and I never heard anything from either the defense or the prosecution looking at it from, from that lens. That's always the way that I have to look at these is what would happen if it wasn't these players? And I, and I don't think those two gentlemen would have ended up dead from somebody else shooting them. I don't think that they would have killed somebody else other than, you know, if, if they weren't chasing Rittenhouse, there, there might have been some other level of violence, right? Somebody might have got beaten up, I, I guess. I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's just sort of a standard that, that I look at to say, if these players weren't involved, what would have been the outcome? And I think it would have been dramatically different. And so then that's when I've got to look at what these actors did without necessarily looking at the justification for it, if you follow me. I, I don't know. So those are uh, some of my takes on it. Shortly after the Rittenhouse verdict, uh, the Ahmad Aubrey verdict came in. And in this case, you know, they were found guilty. All three men were found guilty. And it certainly seemed like to most of America that this was a fairly open and shut case. Um, the standard applied for self-defense obviously did, did not work uh, for the jury in this case. Uh, and it was ridiculous. These gentlemen, these morons who shot Aubrey, you know, they should have been given some kind of a plea to, you know, maybe avoid the electric chair or something. I'm, I, and I'm not even in favor of capital punishment. But, you know, the fact that it went to a jury trial is sort of laughable because in most cases it wouldn't. The bigger story in this, and it's not really, well, of course it's about gun control. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But the, the the bigger story, in my opinion, of the Aubrey murder is the lack of accountability for the prosecutors that were involved. Now, the one prosecutor, the first prosecutor who was friends with the killers, she has been indicted. And I don't know what the highest level of charge that, that she is facing, but it should involve some very serious punishment because... The fact that this case got to trial is almost amazing. If it wasn't for one of the idiots sharing his um, video of the shooting, it probably would have never gotten to trial. And as I've said in the past about these kinds of things, it's a shame that it takes video evidence to even elevate it into the public sphere to then force uh, some level of accountability. Because what about all the cases that 
there is no video evidence. Oh, I want to go back, uh, speaking of all the previous evidence, I want to go back to the Rittenhouse case uh, very quickly about another observation. There was the weapons charge, and then the judge threw out the weapons charge because there was this nonsense going back and forth about the length of the gun and did it fall within the carve out for minors to have a long rifle or a long gun uh, for hunting. And the judge throws out the charge saying that the law is too vague. And I'm thinking to myself, is this the only time in Wisconsin that this law has been challenged? There was no other precedent for a minor in possession of a long rifle to determine whether or not it fit the standard of the intent of the law was to protect hunters or not. If there was no other case law to support or not support the idea of Kyle Rittenhouse being in that place with that gun that should have been illegal for him to do so, it, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't wash with me. I, I just I mean it just sounds too unbelievable that this law had been on the books for a number of years and this is the first time that the judge, a judge, has decided that the law was too vague to be applied. So anyway, I, I just think that's ridiculous. And, you know, I, I think that's one example of where the judge was biased. But I don't know that's really why the jury found uh, innocent by self-defense. You know, will the Wisconsin legislation review that law and button it up? Because it was, it's, it's kind of odd that that law also includes brass knuckles. And so Kyle Rittenhouse couldn't have brass knuckles at that protest, um, but he could have this rifle, according to the judge, because uh, the barrel was 17 inches and that exceeded the 16 inch uh, minimum or something like that. And, and, and so it just really became ridiculous. But uh, if the judge threw out because it was a vague law, what did other judges do and how was the law applied in other cases? Um, that's my point. All right, back, back to uh, Aubrey. So I think where I left off was the prosecutor uh, has been indicted. And there's another prosecutor that followed her that also really kind of sat on the case. And, you know, this person has also left that position. But uh, I, I believe he needs to be in, indicted as well. It's just, it just makes you think, just like the video evidence, how often does this happen in America when you know, we have police and prosecutors and police and DAs or police and police chiefs, you know, cobbling together stories for their own wrongdoing, uh, whether it's helping a civilian assailant, someone that they know, or so, or helping another cop. It, it really is kind of frightening to think about that it happens much more than uh, we really care to think about. And then there's what happened here in Michigan uh, last week at Oxford High School and the school shooter there and the events that led up to the shooting, even within just a few days, and the parental involvement or lack of involvement in trying to stop it. Kudos to the Michigan prosecutor who has decided to charge the parents with manslaughter as being culpable to the events that led up to four students being shot and killed at a high school and seven or eight others wounded. It seems just based on the case that they are making that one could uh, reasonably find 
the, the parents an accessory to these murders on some level. You know, the, hopefully the evidence will bear itself out uh, truthfully as to whether or not the handgun was a gift to their disturbed teenager, whether they knew he had access to it and had some level of idea of his willingness to use it. And I think this goes a long way in describing what I have said before. And I continue to say is America has a love of killing machine culture. That's what guns are for. I don't need to hear that we, you know, that I want to outlaw cars because they kill as many people as guns. You know, cars serve other purposes like getting people to work. You know, guns are essentially just one purpose. Uh, they are killing machines. And of course, all these discussions are sans hunting. That's a separate conversation completely. And, you know, the Second Amendment freaks don't ever really bring in the hunting aspect of it because they know that that's a completely different conversation. You know, we're talking about the the right to protect oneself and how far that right goes into intimidating others or playing Wild West uh, and, you know, wanting to get into shootouts with other people with guns and, you know, to the worst extent of just wanting to go shoot people. And, you know, those are separate conversations that don't really uh, apply to, to hunting. You know, I, I think most people on the left and the progressives are happy that, I, I mean, I hate to use the word happy in any sort of context like this, but, you know, are uh, pleased that Michigan's going after these parents. I mean, everything that I'm reading about these parents, um, you know, what a couple of POSs, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing, but I guess not, uh, that they both stayed out of jail as long as they have. You know, they're they're truly part of the basket of deplorables um, that we have in this country. And I don't think it's a stretch to imagine who they voted for, because that's what a segment of America is becoming. And it's violent and as proven in Oxford and other high school shootings, dangerous and deadly. And the the idea that People want to own handguns for something other than their own home protection of their family, which is irrational fear to begin with, is, you know, a truly sad commentary on America. I was arguing with a guy on Facebook who generally leans pretty right. I mean, he's a conservative and we argue about a lot of different things. He's from the UK. He lived in Australia and now he lives in Thailand. And, you know, he, he thinks the Second Amendment he generally sides with conservatives, but in those countries, they don't have a second amendment. And, you know, his whole take is uh, America is not going to let go of their guns until we get rid of the second amendment. And that's never going to happen. So we're stuck with this violent country. And that's the way he sees it as a very violent country. Now he primarily sees it as, you know, like the only people that have guns are, and, and use them violently are urban blacks or, you know, the, the gangs or people who were naturally born felons or whatever in his mind, right? You know, there's this whole just sort of ignorance, uh, feign ignorance of the other side of the gun culture, which, you know, is, is rural America. And 
uh, their love of guns and how often it leads uh, into deadly consequences every single weekend. What, what happens in Chicago every, every weekend with shootings is horrible and it has to be addressed. But if you look up the stats, there's probably just as many people killed in rural Florida every single weekend. And, and it doesn't even have to be the same amount. You know, if, if 12 people die in Chicago uh, by gun violence on a Saturday night and, you know, eight people die in Florida by gun violence uh, outside of their urban areas on a weekend, you know, one's not really worse than the other uh, and both have to be addressed. But the conservative right only wants to, you know, point out, you know, what's happening in the urban areas in order to... Um, you know, dog whistle that this is a, a race problem. Anyway, I, I sort of digress uh, um, when I go there and it's, you know, more more talk for another day. So it's just a tragedy and America's got to get to a place where guns are uh, stigmatized uh, by society and it starts with laws. The one thing that cannot be denied is that there is less gun violence in blue states there's less gun violence in states that have stronger gun laws than there are in red states. And those are the facts. And, and when confronted with that fact, they, they, they really have to kind of either own up to the idea that it's the gun laws or it's their culture, right? It's, it's the rural Southern culture that is creating more gun violence. And so more gun laws wouldn't make a difference or that those gun laws in blue states like Connecticut and California and New York uh, do really have an effect on reducing gun violence. So they can't really have it both ways. They either have to blame their own culture or admit that gun control works because the stats bear, bear that out um, in, in very black and white terms. All right. So uh, I've got that all off my chest, um, and I'm enjoying my beer. I did have a little thing that I wanted to talk about on my cultural topic today, um, and you know we just we just passed uh, no shave November, and I did shave some, you know, but it's it's traditionally the month that I I grow a little facial hair, but I don't let it go crazy. And before no shave November, it was sober October, and. I was just sort of thinking, like, is every month now some sort of like call for activism? And I, and I don't mean activism in a way of political activism, like Gay Pride Month being June or Black History Month being February. More of just sort of like asking people to behave in a way that maybe they normally wouldn't. And it is for a cause. So Sober October, I think, is to bring awareness to drunk driving, I think, maybe. I know No Shave November is to bring awareness. It originally started um, to prostate and, and men cancer issues. And so I was just sort of looking up um, what other causes there are in months. And, you know, of course, people like either puns or alliteration, like uh, No Shave November is decent alliteration. Sober October is kind of a little rhyme there. The UK doesn't do No Shave November, but they do Decembeard. So again, kind of a, a little pun on this. I found this uh, website called Awareness Days, and you can kind of put in a day or a month, and it kind of tells you everything that's happening in that day or month. And I thought some of them were just sort of humorous. 
to share. The UK really seems to be big into this um, awareness thing by month. Uh, they have in 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 January they have what they call veganary, veganary, veganuary, veganuary, something like that, uh, and. You know, it's promoting eating more vegetarian, uh, more vegetables and eating more vegetarians, eating more vegetables. And then there's also, I, I'm not sure I've ever heard of this before, but dry January, which I think also can be, uh, the U.S. might participate in. It's sort of like sobering up after the holidays. I've heard of No Shave November, but I wasn't aware of Mustache March. Again, hitting on the alliteration, that is observed by the U.S. The other one, which they just, maybe they should have moved this one to March, it was Move More, and that's Move More April. So I think they kind of missed that one. It should have been Move More March and just drop the whole mustache March thing because we already have the No Shave November. So I don't think we needed that. Um, a couple others that I just thought were kind of funny um, or interesting, Time for a Cuppa. Uh, that's in May. And again, that's a UK thing. Uh, they're really big into this. Uh, but I do like what it stands for. It's go get a cup of coffee uh, with friends or family. It's kind of the idea of making sure you gather with others in May. Uh, in May, however, um, we do have an observed month, but it's not the same as the UK where they're enjoying a cup of coffee with their friends. Someone has started Zombie Awareness Month in May. Maybe it's Zombie Mummies May. I don't know. Zomb zombies Awareness in May. And for all the Walking Dead uh, fans or whatever online game that you might uh, might play uh, to shoot up zombies, maybe you're aware of this. I'm not really sure. The UK also has National Candy Month. I think we need one of those. Although I could say that it's Candy Month every day at the Blotto household. And the last one that I'll mention here. And again, I just like the alliteration of it. And this is internationally observed, but I don't think it's uh, ever hit the news here in the U.S. And that is Sourdough September. Sourdough September, uh, as it states here in AwarenessDays.com, the ninth month is when the Real Bread campaign helps you to discover that life's sweeter with sourdough. It's sweet to tweet about hashtag Sourdough September. Since 2013, the ninth month of the year has, has been when the Real Bread campaign goes on a mission to help everyone discover that life's sweeter with sourdough. Uh, share the delicious delights of genuine sourdough. Encourage more people to bake genuine sourdough. Celebrate the small independent bakeries that bake genuine sourdough. <laughs> I guess it's how to get involved. From September 1 through 30th, Real Bread Bakers and other Fermentalists worldwide are encouraged to organize their own local events and activities to help share sourdough secrets and to demystify the delicious delights of the oldest way of raising a loaf. Demystify sourdough. Sure, I didn't know that there was mysteries surrounding it. Okay, so um, always get involved. Get involved politically and culturally and to help make society a better place. Um, and I think that's what Awareness Days is all about. You know, if you're stuck on what you're supposed to be doing on a certain month to uh, uh, help improve society, go to awarenessdays.com. And, you know, I, I hope to see you out on the streets with a sourdough sandwich board with your favorite causes on it. Okay, that's all I got today. Always trying to keep uh, Pottoms Up live. I will 
I know I'll get another episode out there. I know I'm going to eventually get to 100. I think this is 96. What happens after 100, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and I'll uh, catch up with you later. As always, listen up, drink up, potums up. Politics, some culture and craft beer. Politics, and that is why you're here. Politics, potums up.